Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to episode 55, New Hampshire. Today we're going to discuss the legend of Chief Shakura and the Wood Devils of Coas County. Very nice. I am your host, Chris, and joining me as always is James, and we are recording a very special episode tonight. Yes, sir. We are inside the belly of the beast, so to say. We are aboard the USS Stewart at the Galveston Naval Museum in Galveston, Texas. That's right. We have been invited to a special investigative uh, event where we're going to investigate the Stewart as well as the USS Kavala. Kavala, a submarine. What's this? Uh, let's see. The submarine itself was actually nicknamed the Lucky Lady. It is a hero of World War II because it sank the Shakura. The Shakura? The Shukaku. There we go. Which is a Japanese aircraft carrier, one of which was responsible for the attack on Pearl Harbor. That's right. A little sweet justice. You can learn more about that in our Patreon episode because uh, we recorded a whole bunch of interviews with people who are investigating here as well as someone who who works here as well. Staff member. Staff member. So go to our Patreon and uh, $7 a month, you get all kinds of extra stuff, including all the interviews we did. It's cheap. Uh, it's super cheap. And, and all the money goes back to the show. Exactly. And you can find out more about that on that episode. And so, it's just the two of us. Yeah. So we're super excited because, this is, first <laughs> of all, this is our first remote event. Yes, it is. Uh, not only that, but it's a remote event that's on a, would you call it? It's not a battleship, right? This is a destroyer. Destroyer. And we're literally is, inside the destroyer. I forget the class of destroyer. I hate saying that, but is is the USS? Um, Stewart. USS Stewart. Duh. Yeah. Get it so, right, James. So we're inside here. And it recording. is the last of its kind preserved from World War II. There are no other. This is it. Yes. Yes. Only one. And it is a monster. It is. So we're inside here. We're looking at all the cool bunks and all the doors. I mean, it, it's it's awesome. And then we're going to go to, oh, wow, the fan just turned off. Holy crap. Fan's been on all night. <laughs> anyway. So uh, we're going to go to the, the uh, Kavala, Kavala, the Kavala, Kavala submarine after this. Um, but it's pretty exciting because we're, this is so cool. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I've never been in one of these things before. So this destroyer battle or anything really yep. battleship. So I'm super excited about it. But enough of that. Why don't we get into the stories this week, James? Indeed. Let's do it. This week's point of interest tells a tragic tale of friendship, betrayal, and death. 
fun stuff, man. Yes. Always bringing the uh, happy-go-lucky stuff. Gotta be the death. That's right. Although not strongly substantiated and passed down over centuries, the story is definitely interesting and may have been fabricated to blame Native Americans for the hard times the white men faced back then. So what do you say we get into this one, huh, brother? Let's do it, man. Mount Shakurawa was long said to bear the name of Chief Shakurawa, a fictitious Native American, which I don't that that hasn't been substantiated either. No. According to legends, it is created by white colonists. He lived with his young son in the area that is now Tamworth, New Hampshire in the early 1700s. Historian Mary Ellen Laponka has written extensively on the lack of supporting evidence for this myth and its possible origins of the names shared now by the mountain and the lake. Some versions of the legend say that Shakurawa stayed behind in Tamworth after most of his fellow Pequot... I'm, I'm going to do this the best I can, folks. Okay. You just have to bear with me. Yeah. Pequot... Pequoquets. Pequoquets. That might, I think that You know what? I'm going right. to go with Pequoquets. I think it's Pequoquets, yeah. Had moved to northern Canada. You notice I didn't go back. <laughs> no, you didn't. Nope. Go forward. To avoid the conflict with the white man. Following the 1725 Battle of Lowell's Pond near Freiburg, Maine. Another source of information states that a mountain named Kurowa is mentioned in Jeremy Belknap's Belknap? Belknap's 1784 journal that he wrote while touring the White Mountains, and it is labeled Shakurawa on a 1791 map, so apparently it's substantiated. Yeah. A few years later, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem called Jacova about a mountain where an Indian chief was found dead at the base of a cliff. Oh. Okay. The full story of the curse was first written down in October of 1828 by the painter Thomas Cole, who heard it while he was touring the White Mountains. Cole wrote in his journal, quote, We came out at length. I always love these writings because they make no sense. We came out at length to a lonely and deserted clearing just at the foot of the mountain. The cause of this abandonment is, they say, the poisonous effects of the water upon the cattle. The result, according to tradition, of the curse of Shakurawa, an Indian, from whom the peak upon which he was killed by whites takes its name. Mm, okay. The Shakurawa legend tells of the Native American prophet or chief, Shakurawa, obviously, obviously, who is supposed to have lived near the mountain in the dawn of the white settlement, although no authentic records of his life are known to exist. The usual story, much of it drawn from a short work of fiction by Lydia Maria Child, is that in about 1720, Shakurawa was on friendly terms with settlers, in particular the Campbell family, that had a home in the valley and now called Tamworth. Shakurawa was also called away and left his son in the care of the Campbell family. The boy found and drank a poison that Mr. Campbell had made to eliminate troublesome foxes, and Shakurawa returned to find his son had died. Yeah, distraught with grief, he pledged revenge on the family, and shortly thereafter, Mr. Campbell returned home one afternoon to find his wife and children had been slain. Yeah, bad news. Like, literally, this is the one time it was not the white man's fault, because yeah. he, he didn't give him the poison. No. He just had it out for foxes, and, and the naturally, kid, like kids, they drink stuff. He drink, they yeah, get, they, yeah. So there was no Mister Yuckmouth stickers back then. Oh, so. that's what they were missing. Yeah, it's Mister Yuckmouth. It's, it's too bad, though. Oh man. Well, Campbell had suspected Shakurawa and pursued him up the mountain. Shakurawa was wounded by a shot from Campbell's rifle, and uttering a curse upon the white settlers, he leapt from the summit to his death. 
so they say. I could not find any solid evidence of the Campbell family spoken of in this legend. I did look. I tried to find the Campbell family massacre or anything, uh-huh. and I couldn't really find anything to substantiate these claims. Okay. But I felt a little follow-up research was necessary, and yeah. I didn't find anything on that, unfortunately. And there are at least three other versions of the legend of Shakurua. One is that the chief simply fell from a high rock on a mountain while hunting. A second is that white settlers pursued him up the mountain after an Indian massacre and that he leapt to his death. The third is that all white settlers pursued him with guns, pitchforks, and torches. This sounds stupid. As Shakurua reached the top, the settlers decided to torch the remaining trees, and in doing so, they burned and exposed the topsoil of at least 1,270 feet, 390 meters, and as the flames drew closer to Shakurua, he plunged to his death. So each story gets more and more dramatic. And ridiculous. And ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. They, so they burned him out, and he basically jumped. So it's either either he fell, or he was he jumped, or he was burned out and then jumped. Yes, but the funny thing is, before he died, the curse, although the exact words of Shakurua's curse, or even if there was a curse, so to say, are not known, and, but it has been reported to be as follows. So in other words, made up. Okay. Probably. Curse be upon ye, white man. May the great spirit curse ye when he speaks in the clouds. I don't know any Indian that used the word ye. Yeah, that's a good like point. more old English. Well, I mean, if it was being recited by a poem, then it's, it's the English poem. And so these were gonna... English. These were English. These were not yeah, so colonials. These were actually English, the first English settlers. So they're going to stick some yees in there where there shouldn't some be. yees and yeas, yep. Yeah. May the great spirit curse ye when he speaks in the clouds, and his words are fire. Shakurua had a son, and ye killed him while the sky looked bright. I love the ye. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm sitting here. Come on now. And I'm reading a curse, and I'm sitting here giggling. Yeah. Lightning, blast your crops. Wind and fire, destroy your dwellings. The evil spirit, breathe death upon your cattle. Your graves lie in the war path of the Indian. Panthers howl and wolves fatten over your bones. That's pretty uh, harsh. Yeah. <laughs> man, that is, that's, man. Shakurawa goes to the great spirit. His curse stay with the white man. And then off the cliff he went. A little follow-up on the battle that was supposed to be the catalyst for this legend. You know, I looked it up to find the Battle of the Pequocket, also known as Lowell's Fight, occurred on May 9, 1725, during Father Rail's War in northern New England. Captain John Lovewell led a privately organized company of scalp hunters organized into makeshift ranger companies, and Chief Paugus led the Abenaki at Pequocket, the site of the present-day Freiburg, Maine. And if I mispronounce that, I'm sorry, but I'm not going back. The battle was related to the expansion of New England settlements along the Kennebec River in present-day Maine. The battle was the last major engagement between the English and the Wabanaki Confederacy in Governor Dummer's War. I love that name, Dummer. <laughs> Governor Dummer. It's probably Doomer. It's probably Doomer. But, but it's two M's. We'll call it Dummer then. Dummers, yep. The fight was celebrated in song and story for at least several generations and became an important part of regional lore, even influencing the stories of Nathaniel Hawthorne in the early 19th century, as well as other writers. Its importance is often exaggerated in local histories as arguably the August 1724 English raid on Norwich Walk. 
You see these names, man. I'm telling you. All right. Was that's that's what it's called, Norwich Walk. Norwich Walk. Okay. Yep, that's it. Was probably more significant for the direction of the conflict in bringing in the Abenaki to the treaty. T- but the Norwich Walk raid, also celebrated in song and poetry, has been less well remembered, probably because it was essentially a massacre of Indian civilians by New England forces. Mm, okay. After researching, I can see quite obviously why the legend could be entirely made up. All too often you hear of white men's victories in the history books described as battles to somehow, in my opinion, justify the, op- the often lopsided victories, but to the contrary have always been referred to as massacres should the Native Americans win the day. I've always had a problem with that. Right, They're right. always called battles or massacres. Victory, I mean, uh, history is written by the winners, and, and so. True enough. So, why not create a local legend to scare the locals into hating the natives, you know? Not the first time in history such a thing has happened. Yeah, it probably won't be the last either. Probably not. Nope. And that, my friend, is the legend of Chief Shakurua. Very cool. You know, for something made up, there's quite a bit of information in there. There is. Yeah. I tried to dig up more, but that's about as much as I could grab. It's still a lot for uh, something made up. Yeah. It, it, or supposedly made up. I'm sorry. A lot of sources repeated the same stuff, so oh, it really didn't okay. expound on it. You know, a lot of that. Because, like I said, they couldn't substantiate a lot of it. Uh, but, yeah, very interesting story. Yeah. I, you know, Native American curses are a big part of history. I mean, I mean, you hear that all the time. Oh, yeah. They're all over the place. I think we covered one in a different episode earlier. Uh, but there's also the, the the famous one, Chief Cornstalk from the uh, the whole uh, from the uh, the Mothman uh, occurrence. Like you know, a lot of people believe that the Mothman is actually a curse brought on by uh, Chief Cornstalk okay. for that whole area. Have That's you heard that one? No, I have not. That's yeah, interesting. yeah, yeah. Go go watch a couple of documentaries, and, and you'll see that some people believe that I believe his name was Chief Cornstalk. I could be getting that wrong, but there is a supposed curse by the natives in that area, and many people believe that the Mothman is. The fulfillment of that curse. Yeah, and so I've often, you know, I've said, and I've mentioned on previous episodes how powerful I think the Native Americans are spiritually. Mm-hmm. These guys have. Oh yeah, they have a lot of uh, mental and emotional power. They, I mean, very strong spiritually. Yeah. So you know, I think they can bring about some pretty harsh curses. You know, I think, I think so. they can. I think they have that power. Oh yeah. But why don't we, uh, we're going to continue our journey in the White Mountains after the break when we talk about the Wood Devils. Fantastic. Okay, so as I said, we are going to stay in the White Mountains for the next story. Nice. Our last New Hampshire episode, we covered the devil monkeys. We sure did. From the sightings. I think they were like in the 90s and the 2000s. So we're, as much as I wanted to do something different, uh, I came across a story of yet another Bigfoot-type cryptid in New Hampshire. Nice. In a whole different part of the state. Now, the New Hampshire wood devils are a smaller group of humanoids known to inhabit the northern part of New Hampshire in Coas County. Okay. Coas County is largest and least populated county in New Hampshire, having a square mileage of 1,830 
but only has 33,000 people according to the 2020 census. Wow. That's about 18 people per square mile. Yeah. That's not bad. It has a significant amount of unincorporated land. Over half of the municipal-like entities are unincorporated townships, gores, or grants, a rarity in New Hampshire, where nearly all of the land is incorporated as towns or cities. Now, most of its areas are mountainous and reserved as national forests, wilderness, or state parks. This encompasses most of the northern part of the White Mountains, which have a history of paranormal legends. Sweet. One such town is Livermore, which was established by the Saunders brothers in 1870 as a logging town in the middle of the White Mountains. By 1900, there were 200 people living there. Mm. Then the founders died and the town was left in the care of an attorney who did nothing to improve it. And in 1920, 20 years later, the town population had gone down to 98. Then the mill caught fire. The town train fell into the river and a huge flood in 1927 destroyed the entire rail line. Holy crap. By 1930, the population had fallen to 23. <laughs> I like that. 23. 23. By 1940, four people. Four people. Four people. 1950, zero. Really? Zero. Then, oddly enough, in 2000, the census report came back stating that there had three. There are three people living in the area. Say what? But by 2010, they had all moved out. Damn. With so much forested and mountainous areas, it's the perfect playground for the woods devils. Sightings of these creatures have been around since the early 1900s, with the greatest number of sightings between the 1930s and the 1970s. Unfortunately, it seems that those reported sightings don't seem to be widely available and may just be secondhand stories. One user on the site Usernet said that in a conversation with some of the old men in the area, he learned th that there had been a lot more of these creatures in the 1930s. Okay. They were described as very thin, and tall with long pointy faces, wide smiles, covered in grayish fur or skin. Other than the smiles part, it also sounds like aliens. It sure as does. Mm -hmm. Sound like them grays. Yeah, except for the wide smiles. Yeah. They are said to be bipedal and over seven feet tall. Witnesses say they use their thin form and extreme speed to hide in plain sight by using trees to camouflage themselves. Hmm. Apparently, they are so thin that they can just hide on the other side of trees. Perhaps these are the browns, maybe? Maybe. The taller, thinner alien? Maybe. I mean, they are, but they're gray. Yeah. And the, the grays are usually the short ones, though. That is true, but fat little heads and stuff like that. But they're seven feet tall? Again, the, the, the smiles is what gets me every time. I because guess so. The, okay. None of the aliens, I think apart from like the, the reptiles or the mantises, are supposed to have mouths. Yeah. But these things, apparently the mouth is so wide, it's, it's like from ear to ear. It's supposed wow. to be huge mouths. Joker. Yeah, yeah, basically. Sweet. Reports state that they can remain perfectly still for long periods. Witnesses have stated that they are so good at camouflaging themselves and remaining still that they have almost walked directly into the creatures in the forest. Holy shit. While they are known to be elusive and shy, if you do happen to come across one and it knows that you see it, it will open its wide mouth and emit a high-pitched, awful, heart-wrenching scream to try and scare you away. It might work. <laughs> it definitely worked for me. I'd probably shit my pants first, though. So. 
Now, besides being shy, these creatures share so few similarities that many believe it is a cousin of the Bigfoot type creatures rather than the actual Bigfoot itself. Gotcha. I mean, because Bigfoots are about eight or nine feet tall. Oh, God. They're yeah. three, four hundred pounds. They're, they're massively muscular. You and know. there have been so many different descriptions. Right. But they all, they all more or less share the same features. Like I said, eight or nine feet tall generally yeah. uh, are, are much more muscular, not so, not thin. Um, and their heads are more pointed than, than the yeah. rounded ones of these ones. Now, while Bigfoot is seen all over the world, these creatures or the creatures of these description are only found in the Coas County woods. Okay. Uh, and, and that's true because I have not heard of another type of, of bipedal hominoid or uh, cryptid mm-hmm. that's lanky and tall like this. Yeah. Especially when it comes to like a, an ape-like creature. They're always muscular. They're big. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. This is why they are known as the Coas County Wood Devils instead of Coas County or Northwest Bigfoot. There you go. While sightings tapered off after the 1970s, reports began coming out during the 90s and 2000s. The website Phantom and Monsters received a report from someone named Will, who seemed to have encountered one in 1991. I saint it. I saw it. I saw it. It took my Dr. Pepper. (laughs) I saw it. He said he went out in the fall of that year to try and photograph several moose that had been seen in the area along the Pontuk Reservoir and Andrasogan River. He goes on to say that he parked off Berlin Road, walked about a thousand feet into the forest east of the dam. Mm-hmm. As he walked, he suddenly heard a cracking sound behind him and turned to see what it was. Always bone chilling. <laughs> Especially when you're supposed to be by I'm yourself. sorry. I've been in the forest before and I've heard wood cracking behind me when I'm walking. Oh, really? And I've turned around and seen nothing. Oh, But I'm going to tell you what. That's terrifying. It does. Of course, that's why I always walk in the mountains. I'm armed. But, but still, but because uh, you're also thinking maybe it's a big bear. But you get that shit. you get that rush, and you're like, okay, what's going on here? I like, you know. yeah, I, that would that would freak the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the woods were so dense that very little light crept in beyond the canopy. He walked over to the area he thought he heard the sound come from, but before he got to the spot, he said, "quote I saw something tall and thin dart from behind a sugar maple tree and quickly disappear." I stood for a minute, and again, this thing came from behind a large maple tree and then vanished again. Hmm. I tried to get a photograph, but the darn thing was fast, and nothing ever showed up on the shot. And I know you were talking about the camouflage thing. The trunk of a maple is like a grayish, light Exactly, color. yeah. So, yeah, that would that's, be a perfect cover yeah, for me. If he's that thin, good they, lord. That's, and that's that could be a reason why they're gray, because they want to stay in camouflage with the trees. Absolutely. And maybe it's an evolution thing. Yes, sir. Uh, it didn't show itself anymore that day, end quote. He went back to that place several times over the years, but never had any other encounters. What little he could see was about seven feet tall, with dark, thick fur or hair, and very thin, thinner than a human at that height. Wow. He said it was so fast and nimble that he never heard anything other than footsteps when this thing moved between the trees. Sheesh. That'd be a little distressing. Yeah. It's... (laughs) It's like I'm thinking like a combination of like uh, the the aliens from Signs, yeah, you know, and then it's exactly. like it's like a Bigfoot type creature where they're yep. just so nimble, but they're tall and lanky. Because uh. tall and lanky is just freaky looking. Yes, it is. When it's not a human. Yeah, yeah. In 2000, Evan Lichnowski and his former wife Edith were hiking through the Drummer Pond Trail off Nash Steam Road. Hey, Edith, give me a beer, huh? <laughs> no, Archie. <laughs> They stopped to watch the sunrise when suddenly a dark, foreboding figure crossed the trailhead in front of them. Oh, man. It ran down the path away from them and disappeared. 
See, now, that, that's the part that always gets me. It disappears. I it goes out of your sight. You know, if you can keep your eye on something like that. But, if I mean, if it's running from you, that's one thing. But then it can ambush you down the track. <laughs> See, that's, I was just thinking, I was like, what is actually more frightening? So, something like this pops out of the trailhead. Is it more frightening that it runs towards you or away from you? Because towards you, you have a few seconds to try and, 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 and manage the danger and figure or out what pray. to do. Right. Running away from you. It could be going to get more troops. Or to set up an uh, ambush. Exactly. But you also have to realize, especially if you're on like a trail, like a single trail, that's the only way to go. Yeah. And you still have to go wherever this thing was. You have to go by where it was. So what, right. what's, I don't know what's scary. It could lure you into false sense of security. Of course, would you still proceed in the same direction? That's what I'm saying. That would tall you, and crazy yeah. Or looking? would you just try? Or and, would you turn the hell around and go back to your Jeep? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably go back to my Jeep. Unless I had a gun, then I'd be okay. Then I'd go. I hear you. Yeah. This all happened before the couple had any time to process what it was they were seeing. They do recall seeing the figure had gray hair and was walking barefoot with long strides. The most recent sightings seemed to have occurred in 2004 when a man was out hunting one cold November morning with his grandfather. After they located the spot for their base of operations, they took off to hunt. Be very quiet. Uh, I'm hunting, I'm hunting devils. Uh, I'm hunting devils. That's right. Devils. 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 How, how, how would he? How would Elmer say it? Devils. Devils. Uh, hunting wevels. On the way back, they were frightened by a loud, awful squealing that came out of nowhere. And as they rounded a bush, they came upon a seven-foot-tall, skinny figure uh. covered in gray hair. It stood on two legs, and when it saw the two men, it took off down the ridge. The men claimed to have found 15-inch footprints in the area afterward. Holy Moses. Now, that's a size 15 shoe. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's wondering, it's 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 big. It's a big shoe. It's a, it's a basketball player shoe. Yeah, it's not as big as a big foot, so to say, but that's still a damn good size foot. And that's another reason why they think it's like a cousin, because yeah. not only is it thinner and, and shorter, but the foot size is small. Yeah, because I've got a size 13 foot, and I'm only six feet tall. You can probably take this thing, no problem. Probably, yeah. You're, you're, I, we're, it's thin, so you're right there. You I'm know? out of shape, man. Bigfoot will whip my ass. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been a sighting reported since then, but... If you happen to find yourself in the dense woods of Coas County, take your time, keep your eyes open, because there could be a chance you may walk straight into the path of one of the woods devils. Nice. And then again, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you won't notice it because they're so good, apparently, at being camouflaged that you well, might. Well, think about it. You Bigfoot might walk sightings right. are extremely rare. That's true. It's been rumored that they've been interdimensional. Or that's aliens. How they, that's how, Exactly. The, the all kinds of secret powers or abilities and stuff like that. And a creature that large can just evade millions of humans Now, these things, because they're so tall and thin, it would be very easy for them to camouflage as trees. Yeah. Or, or, like, one one of the reports I read says that what what the way they use their camouflage is not just to hide behind trees or to, like, stand still, but when, when, they, when you're on the opposite side of a tree from it, it, it can sort of do like like a Looney Tunes uh, uh, move where 
as you go around the tree, it continues to stay on the opposite side of you and just kind of keep moving around. Yeah. You know, so like you never, ever get to see it because it's always directly on the opposite opposite side of you and, and it uses the, its thin frame to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Bigfoot can't do that because it's yeah, fucking, like it's, said, it's like a football player. And in player. the forests of the north, of the uh, northeast, so to say, in Maine, New Hampshire and all those states, the wood is much lighter colored. So that true. That, I mean, that I've seen, mm-hmm. should I say? Yeah. And that's not like the Pacific Northwest where everything is brown and right. Green, where your brown big feet and stuff like that, much larger creatures hide amongst those trees. Yeah. You know, so they they obviously have skills to evade and hide. Why they would stand right in somebody's path and then scream at them with a big huge mouth. And give their you know give their positions away and stuff. Well, That's just weird. It's it's always by surprise though because these things are doing their their thing and then you know humans doing their things and and, and normally I, I think the creatures have enough time to hide behind a tree. But if they happen not to, you know it said they stand perfectly still yeah. and 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 they're so they look so similar apparently to the trees the maple trees of northern New Hampshire that if they don't have time to hide behind a tree they stand still. But if a person is astute enough and actually recognizes that that's not a tree, yeah. it has no, I mean, it's thin. It's, I'm sure it's strong, mm-hmm. but apparently, like I said, they're elusive and shy, so they're not yeah. fighters. So the only other option it has, oh, there goes the fan. Well, that scared the shit out of me. So the only option, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. The only other option it has is to use its scream, which I guess is why it has a wide mouth. Yeah. And so apparently, I mean, you know, so you see some weird creature, first of all, it's going to throw you off. Yeah, but then you hear this retching scream. It's probably going to scare the shit out of you. And you and said 2004 was the last time. 2004. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm wondering why nobody's ever gone and ventured and looked for him. But again, let's remember then. that that the the now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't really hear all that often about the northern woods of New Hampshire being a place for hikers and travelers. That's and very stuff. true. Yeah. So it, it is very dense. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very dense, but very sparse of people. Yes, it is. So that could be a reason why. I mean, you, you think about hiking, you think about like Colorado, Oregon, uh, northern California. You think about like maybe the Appalachians yeah. in some areas. But rarely do I ever hear people say, oh, I'm going to northern New Hampshire to hike the trails of White Mountains. Exactly. You know, so maybe that's why they there aren't as many plus Plus, as we mentioned, this thing is very good at camouflage. Absolutely. So maybe people have encountered them, but actually haven't seen them because they're behind a tree or something. Very cool. So, yeah. So that's the uh, the Wood Devils of White Mountains. But I like that, man. I never yeah. heard of them guys. Me either. And I, again, I didn't want to go with another cryptid or, or Bigfoot type creature, but they were so different from the monkey devils or the, the, the devil, devil monkeys. monkeys. Yeah, monkey devils, devil monkeys. Yeah. And different from Bigfoots <laughs> in general. That was like, you know what? I got to do it. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. So, That's great, bro. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, again, we are recording this episode on top or uh, inside the USS Stewart. Yes. Uh, we're about to go do some ghost hunting, so I'm excited. Yes, we are. Thank goodness. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't ghost hunted in quite a while. Me either. So in the meantime, go check out our YouTube and all that stuff that we have. And uh, if you want to hear more about our adventure here, go check out our Patreon. Please. Uh, www.patreon.com forward slash state of fear, all yep. one word. And it's only $7 a month. You get our ad-free episodes. You get early access. You get all of our special materials. We have uh, specials that we've reviewed. We have commentary tracks. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Bloopers. Yep. I mean, God knows we got plenty of those. For this one, it's especially. all kinds so. of extra material. So if you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate your support. Yeah. You know, and, and we've made it very affordable. One level, 
one shot and you get everything. That's so. right. All right, bud. Well, I think we're head off to Wisconsin next week, right? I believe Wisconsin is the next upstate. All right. Well, let's next get in the, upstate. Next, next state us. Up. Next state what? up. Well, either Whatever. way, let's get in the car and let's head on out. <laughs> yes, sir. Head on down the road. Everybody, take care and have a good evening.